Chapter Twenty Three of Perils in the Transvaal and Zulaland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Florence Short. Perils in the Transvaal and Zulaland by H. C. Adams. Chapter Twenty Three. Rivers and Margets hurried down the steep descent without pausing to pick their way and reached the bottom just as the traveller whose horse was evidently tired out passed them at a broken-winded canter which was the utmost speed apparently to which the unlucky animal could be urged hello shouted george hello hardy if it really is you here are two friends of yours who would like to have some talk with you if you can spare the time the horseman drew his rein in evident surprise what rivers margets he exclaimed well this is a piece of good luck i was just thinking that the best thing i could do would be to ride round by dykeman's hollow and ask you to help me what brings you here oh we have been confined within the bounds of roger's property for several weeks and we made up a party to-day to come here more for something to do than anything else and why are you confined within the bounds of dykema's hollow asked hardy and who has confined you well it is more prudence than necessity said george we don't want to provoke the dutchman to attack us you talk riddles said hardy but i have no time to solve them can you tell me where pretorius the great man among the boars can you tell me where he is to be found i don't know with any certainty said george i expect he has gone southward with the others southward what do you mean exclaimed hardy hastily what can he have gone south for well he didn't tell me said reggie but i think i can form a pretty good guess for what he has gone it is to attack the english troops english troops repeated hardy in evident anxiety and alarm what english troops i did not know there were any in this neighbourhood we hear that sir george colley is marching to the relief of pretoria with some say a thousand some fifteen hundred men mr rogers thinks he has got as far as newcastle if not still farther north said rivers the relief of pretoria again cried hardy is pretoria besieged do you mean that the rebellion has actually broken out no doubt of that replied margetts that is an old story now the english have for two or three weeks past been besieged by the boers in all the large towns pretoria pachefstrum sanderton and there has been sharp fighting in several places about the end of december two hundred and fifty men belonging to the ninety-fourth regiment were killed or taken prisoners at branker's near middleburg how did that come about asked hardy well i suppose colonel anstruther didn't know that there was any chance of his being attacked didn't know in fact that any outbreak was likely to take place or 
his neglect of precautions would seem to be of a piece with what we remember he was marching with a number of wagons and two hundred and fifty men as reggie said along the road his train being half a mile long when at a place called branker spirit two dutchmen rode up to him and handed him a paper which was found to be a letter from joubert who calls himself the boer general it stated that the war had been declared between the republic of transvaal and england and called on him to surrender his men and wagons i suppose colonel anstruther hardly thought that the summons was seriously meant at all events there was no superior force visible to which he would be unable to offer resistance and he only replied by forming his men in column and desiring them to move on but but joubert had planted his sharpshooters under cover everywhere round and they opened their fire on the soldiers before they knew of their presence that was it certainly in ten minutes half the men had been shot down they were entangled in a marsh and had not been able to get sight of any enemy to shoot at in return exactly and then i suppose colonel anstruther surrendered precisely that is what he did and he and his surviving men were taken prisoners he could do nothing else but i'm afraid this will prevent any good being done by my mission you say this occurred some weeks ago yes said Bargess. the catastrophe near middleburg took place on the twenty eighth of last month and this is the twenty eighth of january why the twenty eighth of last month was just about the time when i set out for bloemfontein cried hardy it is most extraordinary that i never heard this before what have you been to bloemfontein for asked rivers i was sent there by the authorities at natal answered hardy in consequence of a message from the colonel office in england the colonel's secretary wanted to come to terms with these boers i suppose he thought as everyone else thought that the annexation had been a most foolish procedure and that it would be better to come to some reasonable understanding with the boers than keep up an irritating quarrel with them small blame to him for that said george well go on he thought that brant the president of the orange free state would be a good person to mediate between us and the boers and he sent me with a letter to him did you see him asked margetts yes i had two or three very satisfactory interviews with him he seemed quite sincere in the desire he expressed of preventing bloodshed and i am the bearer of a letter from him to pretorius which as i was in hopes would prevent any outbreak of hostilities he certainly did not know when i left bloemfontein that fighting was going on i should be almost afraid it will be too late now is it not extraordinary that no message was sent either from durban or london to stop any proceedings until the result of the negotiations with mr brant were known asked rivers it seems to me certainly replied hardy but very likely there are reasons for it of which i know nothing well anyhow i had better carry president brant's letter to pretorius it is only carrying out my orders and cannot do any harm not to any one but yourself hardy said margetts 
but I am not sure it would be safe for you to put yourself in the way of these boars. The leaders among them seem to behave well enough, but many of the subordinate officers, if one may call them so, are rude and brutal, and might shoot any Englishman who approached them without inquiry and without listening to any representations. You are right, Reggie, I'm afraid, said Rivers. I think Hardy had, at all events, better go with us to Dykeman's Hollow and consult Mr. Manson. He might go with him to Pretorius, and he is so well known to the Boers, indeed he is one of them himself, that there could be no danger in his company. Are the Mansons at Dykeman's Hollow? asked Hardy. Yes, they are Mr. Rogers' guests, but they are nearer to us than that. They are up on the cop yonder, though the trees hide them from our sight. Leave your horses here in Reggie's keeping, and I will go with you up to the cop. Hardy accordingly dismounted, and he and George were just commencing the ascent, when three or four men, whose uniform showed that they belonged to the 58th Regiment, came running down one of the narrow passes at the utmost of their speed, close to the spot where the three friends were standing. They had evidently just escaped from some great danger. Their trousers were covered with mud, so that the regimental stripe could hardly be distinguished. Their jackets were cut and stained with blood. Two of them had lost their caps, and all had thrown away their arms, which would have impeded their flight. As they reached the corner of the road, they came in sight of George and Hardy, and would have turned another way if the last named had not called to them. Hello, my lads, he shouted. What has happened and where are you running to? Hearing themselves addressed in English, the fugitives stopped, and one of them, a corporal from his dress, answered, There has been a brush with the enemy at Lang's Neck, if you know where that is. I know it well enough returned hardy it is a narrow defile filled with rocky boulders just the sort of place where these dutchmen would take up a position quite out of sight and shoot down our soldiers at their leisure you don't mean to say i suppose that you attacked the boers there yes we did sir answered the corporal and to our cost half our men were killed or wounded in no time and we couldn't see a single dutchman to fire at in return the rest contrived to retreat to the camp, or there wouldn't have been a man left alive. We were cut off by a party of mounted Boers, and offered to surrender to them. But they paid no heed, and fired on us, killing all but two or three. They are after us still, I expect. They couldn't follow us on horseback up the mountain pass, but they are riding round, I believe, by another road. Can you shelter us? I suppose in strictness we oughtn't to, said Margetts, but we can't see our countrymen shot down in cold blood. I'd rather take the chance of being shot myself. Come along with me, my lads. You can hide in the caves under Coleman's Cop. The Boers, unless they came from this neighborhood, won't know anything about them, and they will hardly venture in there after you if they do. Only we must make all possible haste. He mounted Hardy's horse and rode off at a trot, the men following him as well as they were able. Rivers and Hardy watched them as they hurried along under the side of the steep cliff and then turned into a narrow defile. He is right, I suppose, said George. We are bound not to interfere. 
but if the laws of civilized warfare are set aside as it seems they are by these boers they could not expect us to observe them so rigidly as giving these poor fellows up to be shot would amount to don't you think so we have only their word that the boers would give no quarter said hardy and it may be that they didn't understand what our fellows said still i can't blame margetts if that is what you mean but we had better make our way to dykeman's hollow hadn't we i suppose your friends will have gone home by this time all right said rivers come this way they began climbing the steep path and were nearly halfway up when they heard voices calling to them and looking down saw a party of mounted bowers who were leveling their rifles at them and shouting to them to descend what do you want with us called out hardy in dutch we are not soldiers and have nothing to do with this war you are english i can tell that by your speech answered the man who had hailed them i want to ask some questions of you to which i mean to have an answer you had better come down at once or we will send some bullets to fetch you this was evidently no idle threat a dozen boers had already taken their aim and the path at the point at which the englishmen had been stopped was without shelter of any kind there was no help for it they had to retrace their steps and presently found themselves face to face with the leader of the boers who proved to be no other than river's old acquaintance rudolph kransberg ha it is you mynheer rivers he remarked with a scowl you are an english soldier i think though your companion said you were not i was an english soldier in the zulu war returned george but i left the army at its conclusion and am now a clergyman of the church of england i don't care for that i want to know whether you have seen some runaways from the battle that has been fought at lang's neck we are in pursuit of them and they must i think have passed this way we have told you that we are not belligerents replied george you have no right to question us ha i see you will not answer because you have seen your countrymen and know where they are as to having no right we will see about that we are at war with the english and the english are our enemies though they may choose to say they are not i shall make you my prisoner and this person he continued turning to hardy who is he i am an englishman like mr rivers answered hardy like him too not a belligerent your president mynheer pretorius would not i am sure approve your proceedings you think so <laughs> well you may see him at lang's neck and find out how much respect he will have for your rights we are quite willing to be taken before him said hardy we will accompany you to the camp and answer without objection any questions he may put to us rudolph appeared to be somewhat puzzled by this suggestion but saw no reason why he should not agree to it indeed it had already occurred to him that george rivers was the stepson of ludwig manson 
a man well known to and respected by the boer leaders any violence used towards a near relative of his would probably be condemned by his superiors and he further reflected that he had no kind of evidence that these two englishmen had really encountered the soldiers it was evidently no use to attempt any further pursuit of the runaways every trace of whom had disappeared very well he said after a few minutes of silence you shall go with us to lang's deck and if the president is still there and chooses to see you he will do so you can ride on the saddles of two of the men but i warn you you will be shot without mercy if you make the slightest attempt to escape they mounted accordingly and the party rode off george who understood hardy's manoeuvre by which he would get access to pretorius without attracting general attention which it was his special object to avoid made no demur to the arrangement he further reflected that as soon as he reached the boer camp he could ask for an interview with vanderheiden who would no doubt at once set him at liberty and grant him an escort to dockman's hollow nothing worse therefore was likely to happen to either of them than a ride to the dutch camp and a few hours of detention there and to this he was so far from objecting that he was particularly anxious to learn from an authentic source what had really taken place and what was likely to ensue they rode in profound silence the boers being habitually taciturn and george and hardy anxious under present circumstances to say as little as possible presently the narrow defile running between the lofty rocks and along the margin of the mountain streams was passed and they entered the broken and wild country which extends between newcastle and the border of the transvaal after an hour's ride which would have been protracted to twice that length but for the boer's knowledge of the ground they reached the camp where some five or six thousand men had established themselves george was at once struck with the difference between it and the camps to which he had been accustomed there was an utter absence of military discipline to which he had been used it bore more the appearance of a great camp meeting at which every person provided for his own lodging and maintenance and yet there was a readiness to carry out the orders of the general officers in command which seemed to take the place of the regular routine of a camp as they rode over the ground where the battle had been fought that morning they passed numbers of men employed in the melancholy duties which follow only too surely on an armed encounter wounded men were being conveyed on stretchers to the farmhouses and inns which had been turned into temporary hospitals others whose injuries were too severe to permit of removal were being ministered to on the ground as well as circumstances allowed while several parties were engaged in digging graves to receive the dead bodies which lay scattered in all directions one of these companies was working under the direction of henrik van der Heyden, and the latter no sooner perceived the two englishmen than he rode up to them and after a friendly salutation inquired what had brought them to lang's neck this gentleman mynheer kransberg i am not aware of his military rank but he has brought us here as his prisoners replied rivers prisoners you have not been we have not been interfering in military matters at all interposed george we had given you our parole not to do so and i need not say have not broken it we told mr kransberg so then how come this 
Lieutenant Cransberg, said Vander Hayden haughtily. Mr. Rivers holds a protection which at my instance was granted to him by the President, which exempts him from all interference on the part of the military authorities. He did not produce it, said Cransberg sullenly. He had no time to do so, interposed Hardy. But if you would grant me one moment, Commandant Vanderhaden, that I believe is your proper title, I will explain why the protection was not shown to Mynheer Kransberg. It was because I wished to avail myself of his escort hither. I am the bearer of a letter from Mr. Brandt, the president of the Orange Free State, to your president, Mynheer Pretorius which he was in hopes would prevent the outbreak of war. I regret to find I have arrived too late for that. I regret also, Mr. Hardy, to say that you have. We have been attacked, and we have driven back our enemies with heavy loss, but we should have preferred to gain our object without spilling of blood. Just so, said Hardy, and you would prefer to gain it now without further bloodshed? Undoubtedly assented Vanderhaden. Then will you obtain me an audience with the President, at which I can still present this letter, if the terms it proposes should be acceptable to him, an armistice may be agreed on, and the question of a settlement between the English government and that of the Transvaal may be discussed. I would take you to him this instant, returned the Dutchman, were it in my power to do so but he is not at present in the camp he has to-day gone northwards on business of urgent importance nor can i say without inquiry when he will return in his absence i fear the vice-president and the commandant-general joubert could not discuss certainly could not decide a question of this importance but if you will come with me i will take you to general joubert's quarters i will go at once but i should like to ask rivers what he proposes to do or rather what you advise so far as he is concerned he can of course return to dykeman's hollow if he wishes it and i will send an escort with him but i believe they are greatly in want of a clergyman to attend the sick and dying in the english camp perhaps if he knew that he would prefer going there i need not say he will be at full liberty to do so but we can speak to him after you have seen Mynheer Joubert. We had better lose no time in going thither. Hardy accordingly followed Vanderhaden across the rugged and stony ground on which the action had been fought that morning to a tent. It was the only one in the camp where the commandant general had fixed his quarters. No difficulty was made about obtaining an interview and hardy almost immediately found himself in the presence of the rebel leader as well as in that of another bearded and grave-looking personage who he was informed was kruger the vice-president of the newly proclaimed republic hardy looked with interest at the boer general who although he had not at that time attained all the celebrity now attaching to his name had already achieved some brilliant successes his family, as Hardy subsequently learned, was of Huguenot extraction, having migrated to the Cape at the time of the revocation of the Edict of Nantes. But intermarriages with the Dutch in succeeding generations had had their effect, 
and Joubert had all the appearance of a genuine boer. Like his father's, he had followed the calling of a farmer, and had had no experience of warfare except with native tribes. But he was possessed of a rare military ability, and if he had had the advantage of professional training, would have made a great general. In personal appearance, he was of middle height and powerful frame, with an unusually dark complexion, a beard and moustache, and features expressing intelligence and good humor. He was apparently somewhat advanced in years, though he had not passed the vigor of life. He received Hardy with civility, and, after he had heard his story, expressed his regret, as Vander Hayden had done, that the president was not in the camp, so that the matter might be immediately dealt with. Pretorius was expected back very shortly, and then instant attention should be given to it. Meanwhile, be assured, he said, that we desire peace with England, and are willing to concede everything to her except our national independence. You may not perhaps be aware that when the Volksred declared that the Transvaal Republic was again established, it passed several resolutions which may well form the basis of negotiations with the agents of the British government. I have only just arrived in the country after an absence of several weeks, said Hardy, and have therefore had no opportunity of learning what those resolutions were. They are soon recited, said Chaubert the first proclaimed a general amnesty for all past offences the second ratified all the acts of the british government up to the date of the proclamation and the third declared that questions relating to foreign policy might be made matter of special discussion i think you will allow that these resolutions are not framed in any spirit hostile to your government i must allow that they are not replied hardy i should certainly hope that they might form the basis of negotiations satisfactory to both parties that was also the opinion of the president of the orange free state i may add it is also the opinion of our countrymen in holland who have sent an urgent entreaty to the queen of england that our national independence may be restored to us the same sentiment has been expressed in other european countries but i should hardly have thought that such a petition would require foreign support when it had once been submitted to the english people they have ever been the first and most uncompromising of all nations in the assertion of their own liberty why should they grudge to others that which they value so highly themselves you speak well sir said hardy i am unable to deny the force of your appeal we may hope that when the president returns communications may be opened with the english government which may lead to a settlement honourable and satisfactory to both parties but meanwhile ought not all hostile operations to be suspended they could not facilitate any negotiations that might be set on foot but they might seriously impede them if the english general proposes an armistice it will certainly be agreed to said joubert on our side we have no need to make any such proposition if we are not attacked we shall not ourselves make any attack the british have only to do the same and all fighting will be suspended but of course if we are assailed we shall repel the assault hardy bowed and took his leave on returning to the place where he had left george rivers 
he found that the latter had already taken his departure for the british camp where as the reader has heard his services were greatly needed a few days passed without any resumption of hostilities when on the eighth of february sir george colley unexpectedly sallied out of his camp and the action at hooch's chain between lang's neck and newcastle on the banks of the ingogo was fought with a result as discreditable and damaging to the english arms as that of lang's neck had been what has come to our generals and soldiers i cannot think said hardy to george when he encountered him after the battle on the field whither both had gone to minister to the wounded and dying they seem to me absolutely to court defeat the only comfort is that they will hardly make a third attempt after two such calamitous failures End of chapter twenty three